Jeff Norcott is a bot for Putin. Um, anyway, yeah, we'll get on to all that, all the election stuff later. I hope you're, hope you're well. Uh, hope you're right in this this shitty weather. Any autumn lovers still left out there? Do you remember that? The autumn lovers that you get in September, beginning of October. Oh, I love autumn. It's such a lovely, colourful. You look at it now, right? Now we're seeing what autumn really is. It is shit. Yeah, once you get past, particularly once you get past Halloween. And fucking um, fireworks night. You're like, what is it? Just, just give me, give me winter. You know where you stand with winter. Winter is an honest kind of naked tree, wind in your face. You know exactly what to wear. Autumn's still fucking around. Anyway, if this is the first time that you're listening to the podcast, uh, well, what is it? What most people think? I give my view on what is the sort of middle of the road normal person take on things. Now that might not seem that radical, but in the comedy fraternity, just sharing an ordinary view uh, on the politics and social issues of the day is, frankly... I mean, I love my colleagues, but they are woke to a degree that is not shared within wider society. Do you know what I mean? They are... Uh, they're good people. I'm not a good person. I'm, I'm willing to admit, one of the great things about being a so-called right-wing comedian is that I don't need for you to think I'm nice. Cause I'm not... Here's one. I love money. I'm not a rich man, but I fucking love money. That's a, is that a radical thing to admit? I love that when you see these uh, these particularly successful left wing comics that, uh, you know, they critique capitalism, but you're going, you're sort of pretty fucking good at it as well, mate. You are a lot better at capitalism than I am. You know, I, who, I'm the socialist. I'm the one with the lower profit margins. But anyway, that's what the podcast is. Um, if you take issue with what I've said in this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. I'm going to try and make that more of a regular thing Is because uh, I've had a few emails this week, is uh, people emailing whatmostpeoplethinkuk at gmail.com and I think it'd be good to keep that going because obviously I talk a lot of shit sometimes, do you know what I mean? Maybe my view doesn't represent anybody's views. Maybe I'm way off and I'm quite happy for you to email me, abuse me uh, and let me know because I know I'm lucky enough to get, you know, a real spread of viewers and listeners, same as I do on tour. Guess what? My audience isn't made up entirely of Brexit knuckle-draggers. I know some people in this comedy industry of mine, that's what they think. They say, so Jeff, Jeff, what is uh, what is your touring audience like? And I guess what they're saying is, what kind of fucking cavemen turn up at your shows, Jeff? You're like, what, how do they know how to... Have they seen electricity before, Jeff? What... Are they? Are they on? Are they on mobile phones? Have they got mobile? Have they got phones, Jeff? So, <clears throat> as we all know, that is not the totality uh, of my audience. Because the great news is, is despite some of the sort of snowflakes and oversensitive people that you get out there, most people these days are still adults. That's the great news. You go and do live shows, and doing this podcast has reminded me that people on all sides of the political divide. There's, they're mostly still grown-ups, but the problem is it's not the fucking grown-ups that you're here for, is it, eh? It's the loud, fucking whiny ass. I want more power. I just want to do it, you know, through an app. Uh, anyway, I sp- spoke about a tour there, and thank you to people who came out to the shows last week. Um, I had shows in Didcot, 
And again, I, I was only in Didcot a year previously. If you haven't been there, if you really want to piss off someone from Didcot, just ask them about which supermarkets they've got. Because I can't remember which is which, but they, they've got an either an M&S, but they haven't got a Waitrose or, or vice versa. But, but the bottom line is they don't have both. And this is, you know, a pretty sore subject uh, if you come from Didcot. I did a show in, uh, in Monmouth and uh, enjoyed that very much. Uh, it's a pretty big theatre there and we pretty much filled it. That was a, f a fun show, and I went to the leisure centre in Monmouth. Actually, I will just say I went for a swim there, and it was said public swim. So what you're thinking is right? There'll be lanes, and there'll be you know area for families and kids. There were no there were no defined lanes. It was fucking anarchy. Do you know what I mean? It started off all right. The swimmers that wanted to swim up and down, we were on one side. The families were on the other. And then you could just see the mums going, no, oh, I just, you know, I just want my kids to just, you know, do whatever they want and, you know, fucking swim diagonally, doing backstroke and smash that comedian in the face. And I just thought, you know, it was a sign of what would life would be like under Corbyn. That would be, you know, well, yeah, everyone should have a right to swim in whatever direction they want. No, okay? <laughs> it's sometimes you've got to have lanes, all right? I'm going to go Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men here, but on the subject of swimming lanes. There are lanes, son. And there's a reason for those lanes. I did a I did a show in Cardiff. Thanks, you. Uh, Two hundred uh, plus people on a Sunday night in Cardiff. My first ever tour show there. I thought that was all right because you know in this game a lot of people going Cardiff. Jeff, you going to Cardiff? What? Are there people in Cardiff that aren't sons of miners? You know, union officials. I'm like, yeah, there are in every big city. There's people of all political persuasions. But it was a really Fun audience there at the Glee Club, and uh, thank you to all coming down on what was a particularly bad... I mean, if you'd have all blown it out to watch Strictly, I, I wouldn't have held it against you whatsoever. And the first thank you is actually to Heaney's Restaurant in Cardiff. Now, you're going, oh, finally, he's taken the he's taken the, the pound, isn't he? He's doing advertising. I'm not. Basically, Ryan McDonald, who is my one of my support acts, which I use a lot on tour, is a great act, and his, his mate, Tommy Heaney, has got a restaurant in Cardiff called Heaney's. And we went there, and I swear to God, it was better value. It was really fancy food. Well, it was food that you know, but done really well. But it was really good value. It was like it was like two courses for like twenty five quid or something. Because uh, you know what it's like. There's some of these pub lunches you go for, and then you look at them, and you go, "How was that fourteen ninety five? Do you know what I mean? They boiled the shit out of the veg. Is that what they say? Home cooked food. They mean like exactly as bad." <laughs> <laughs> as you would get at home. And then, you know, you start eating the beef and it tastes like fucking biltong. And they have the cheek to charge you fourteen ninety five. So what happened then was I had that really nice lunch um, and then I went and watched, because sometimes I will go and sleep in a cinema. That's what I do. Uh, if I've got time to kill in a city, it's pretty sad actually. Particularly if the film you, that you're going to go and see is a kid's film and you're the, you're the only middle-aged man in there. Worse still, I have to wear glasses when I watch films. And my glasses, they look sort of pedo. Um, so if the, <laughs> And then you just fall asleep. And probably when I was asleep, I might have been breathing louder as well. So the whole optics of me falling asleep in uh, uh, cinemas isn't perhaps that endearing. Uh, uh, fuck you. There was some guy on Twitter. Now, obviously, I, I think I get um, a fair bit of, fair share of uh, flack on Twitter, right? I'd argue I get pound for pound more than most. I mean, either that or really I am as shit at comedy as people say. But... Um, I, there's this one guy, just one of these fucking idiotic, he's one of these FBPE types, but it's not by no means exclusive to them. He'd, uh, they put you on a list. That's what they do. They invent a list and they give it a name like racist and they add you to it. And no one ever fucking reads these lists or whatever. But I just thought, 
Do you know what? I don't block people as a rule on Twitter. I just mute them if they're getting annoying. And like to me, that's much better. The idea of them just shouting into the ether and just you know looking for validation that they exist. And I never, I never give it to them. Whereas this guy, I just the one thing I draw a line at is you can't just make shit up. You know, can't just go. You know, you're you're racist. Obviously, I mean, he's he's. His reason for thinking that is because I voted leave, obviously, probably, you know, and he thought well, he must be a racist. But I bet you any money, right? I bet you any money if you if you had a family gathering, his family, my family and friends, who's <laughs> this is awful. I'm gonna enter into a top trumps of who's got the most black and Asian people in their family, uh, but I bet you I do, and that's why I don't give it. That's why I I don't feel the need to protest about it because. I grew up in South London and that kind of, you know, sort of mix of people was just part of my life. So I don't need to fucking wang on about it. Uh, well, I am, ironically, now I am wanging on about it. I, I Basically, I, he's got me here because now I'm sort of going, I'm defending myself for something I haven't done. Now, I, now ironically, you're sort of thinking, well, he's wanging on about it. Maybe, maybe he is a little bit racist. Anyway, fuck that guy. Okay, so this election, wow. Um, how could the Tories, how could the Tories start so bad? Do you know what I mean? It was like, you know, 20, 2017 was like, uh, it was like one of those football matches. Do you know what I mean? Where where everything went wrong. Like, you know, you conceded, you're two down. You know what I mean? You get a player injured in the first, just everything went wrong. So like the strategy must have been like, come on lads, just keep it simple. You know, let's just go out there. Let's just... Let's just keep it, you know, let's let's keep them quiet, yeah? Let's keep the away fans quiet. And well, what's that? What's that? Jacob Reese is uh, talking about Grenfell. There's, uh, why, is he talking, why is he talking about Grenfell? What's he saying? He's saying that people uh, didn't show common sense. Right. Okay, that's going to play out well. Look, the thing is, right, what Jacob Rees-Mogg said, and again, you know, one of the points of this podcast is what most people think. It's not the first time I've heard people say that. If you looked in wider society, there are a lot of people who, rightly or wrongly, whether you hate them for saying it, who would say that they believe that in that situation they would have gotten their toes. Maybe it's some sort of like need uh, to to you know to believe that you would be able to preserve yourself and your family in that situation. So, you know, in the normal world of people having conversations, it's not. But the fucking like in an election and when it's like the poshest the poshest bloke that you've got saying it. And also the way that he said to Nick Ferrari, he said, well, you'd like to think that you or I are going, oh, okay, this, is, <laughs> this isn't playing out well. You know what I mean? If like there's one thing you want going into an election campaign as the Tories is to, is to not like not give them an easy hit because obviously there's these stereotypes about being evil, mean, possibly xenophobic, possibly worse, right? And he's essentially he's essentially gone out. You know, if he's a bowler, he's gone out. And you, if, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, I will get a cricket analogy in anywhere. And he's basically gone out. He's lobbed he's lobbed up a juicy, you know, full toss, and yeah, it was it, it you know it caused a shitstorm. But there've been some early things that haven't played out as people think. Boris did a video um, of himself in the back of his of his prime ministerial car, right? And a lot of saw a lot of sort of left left wing commentators online were saying, "Well, well, this isn't going to look good." You know, Boris has got a chauffeur. I'm like, what do you what What do you think people think that the prime minister of Great Britain and Northern Ireland is going to be doing? Well, he's going to be well, he's going to be an Uber pool just around <laughs> London. Of course, I, I would be. 
What are you just driving himself? Driving himself and like taking like like some weird sort of uh, Instagram influencer videoing himself while he's talking. I want I want him to have a chauffeur. Do you know what I mean? I don't even want him to. Wait, we expect him to take one of his own Boris bikes. That is not. And do you know what? This is a thing that I think they miss with Boris and they miss with Trump as well. Is that there are a lot of people for whom the wealth thing is part of the appeal, right? It's it's an aspirational thing. You you know you. And people might think, well, that's ridiculous. You couldn't possibly get some of what they have and they wouldn't want to share that level of wealth with you. But it works for some people. I do not think Boris Johnson having a chauffeur is, the mass- is a massive shock. And, and Labour, of course, been pushing this idea that, you know, the trade deal with, uh, with the states is going to involve, you know, really bad stuff like uh, maggots in the orange juice. Although that does sound like one of those things in another, like, if you marketed that in a different way... I mean, you know how obsessed with like blokes are with protein now. If you, <laughs> there's a certain kind of like knuckle-headed weightlifter that you could actually sell that, like orange juice with with guaranteed ten maggots, protein burst. What the fuck has happened with all these these bows? Like all these chocolate bars go twenty five grams of protein. I don't want fucking twenty five grams of. I just want chocolate. Why? There's so much of this now. Is this is this because people feel like they need it to train, or that they think protein keeps them fuller? For longer, you know, protein balls. I don't like. I don't like anything that makes me feel like eating is this kind of functional thing. Like I'm only eating because I want to get. I want. I want to eat for for pleasure. Do you know what I mean? Not so I can work on my fucking trapezium muscles. Corbyn did a tweet saying that you know under U.S. trading standards that there will be rat hairs in the paprika. <laughs> I just thought like. He doesn't really reach out well to the core Labour traditional voter, does he? There'll be rat hairs in the paprika. Oh, no. At least go, do you know what I mean? Go go for something else like, you know, rat hairs in the steak slice. Rat hairs in the paprika. I mean, that, that actually sounds like a, a story for middle class children, doesn't it? Joyce Winton had a bit of a strange one. She said that uh, she she should be included in the debates coming up because uh, people need a reminder. Young girls need to be reminded that there can be a female prime minister, right? Because <laughs> it's not like there's any recent evidence of that. You know what I mean? Like June, maybe not June. I'm not saying there was someone called June who was uh, who was prime minister, but I mean it was only in June that Theresa May actually stood down, and she's acting like it's this far flung idea. You know, I mean, until not long ago, a lot of the main political parties were led by women, weren't they? Because you had Theresa May, uh, you had Sturgeon in Scotland, you had Leanne Wood with Plaid, uh, and you know, it's, it's not it's not this revolutionary idea. You know, in fact, the only place that you know having a female leader is a revolutionary idea, of course, is the heavily feminist Labour Party. They're so feminist that uh, they, but they just haven't got round to it. Do you know what I mean? There's, <laughs> They uh, they they love they love women. Just you know, if you if you do stand as leader, you might get shit through your letterbox. But um, but she's tried to get this hashtag going called debate her hashtag debate her debate. No, okay. Well, one, why are you bringing gender into it? Okay, first, I don't think in this instance that it is about gender. And the truth is, not everyone gets a go. Like you know, in, in the debates we've had in a lot of most recent general elections, there's always been a few that were just the two main parties. I'm sorry, Joe. Sorry, love. You you know you're a third party. You don't get it's not you know it's like saying the tenth place team should be in the Champions League. Okay, not everyone gets a ribbon, Joe. The Lib Dem social media for the election so far has been fucking hilarious. They 
One of the pitfalls of social media is trying to seem like you're down with the youth. This is what all the parties have now decided. <laughs> There's this weird thing where they don't really pitch to their own... It's, it's like businesses, isn't it? They've decided, like, what we really need is to pitch to diverse and the young. The young and the diverse. Diverse and the young. And they sort of forget the core people that they need to maintain. So the Lib Dems did one then today, actually, which was a... Uh, this is after, obviously, Farage's deal um, with the Tories, or they always offer to stand down. And um, it was just like a mock-up of a WhatsApp um, conversation, but it was it was so unbelievably Route 1. It was just like, it was not, hey, <laughs> like, hey, boy, should I get it up? Should I get it up, eh? What, 42, Jeff? Not so much these days. I'm leaving that one in. Whoa, that was another innuendo. This is what happens when I try and... Um, play for time so while I'm trying distracted my brain immediately goes to um, innuendos okay here it is um, so they've got a whatsapp message right first up they've actually included the signal from the phone that they're using it's on 3g sorry yeah okay boomer um, and uh, it says Bozza, like instead of Boris Johnson because they're acting like Nigel Farage would have that nickname for him I just think that's a, that's a bit of a reach and it says, Nigel boy, are you there? Yes, Boris. Did you see me on the telly? Yes, I did. Look, Nigel, thanks so much for bailing me out. Those pesky Lib Dems are trying to stop Brexit. I know, I know. Donald will be furious if we don't give him Brexit. By this, I mean Donald Trump. Uh, I immediately thought Donald Tusk. But there you go, that's my bias. And then it says, finally, from uh, Farage, see you at Christmas. Let's chat about that peerage, LOL. Fucking those lamest, the lamest attempts, like to show that they're down with shit. Um, I, I actually think that's like um, you remember like when you used to get birthday cards from your grandparents, and they used to, for some reason they'd think that just because they picked a birthday card with a photo or a drawing of something you liked on it, that you would be like psyched beyond belief. They go look at that, look at that, see what's on the front of that card. You're like, yeah, it's Darth Vader, and they're like, yeah, yeah. You like Darth Vader, don't you? I'm like, yeah, but I can't do anything with it. Oh, it's just an image of Darth Vader. I just, if there's a figure of Darth Vader or a Darth Vader computer game, or but I've just, I'm just seeing something that I've, I've seen a lot during my life. Then, but yes, I remember, didn't I? That's what the Lib Dems are coming across with their social media. They, it just doesn't seem. It, it's painful. It's painful. The Tories had a few missteps as well. What their sort of uh, doctored images of um, uh, Keir Starmer. You know, like it was, it was misleading what they did. But the Lib Dems is worse. They, they also come up with this thing called the Skills Wallet. Um, so this is the idea that there was sort of ten grand bursary throughout your life for training. But just the name, man, Skills Wallet. And, and as has been pointed out by a lot of people, Skills Wallet does sound quite euphemistic, doesn't it? You know, it's uh, oh yeah, yeah, Skills. I mean, it sounds like a uh, like a very nice vagina. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Yeah, I had a little girl in a skills wallet and <laughs> skills wallet. I mean, Frankie Boyle made the point um, was I'd love to see the ideas that didn't make the cut. If skills wallet was what you ended up with, what is <laughs> skills wallet? I've got the impression with Lib Dem marketing and, and social media, there's just one guy called Gavin. Just And for some reason, everyone else thinks that he's, he's the go-to guy on young stuff, you know? So they like... They just looked him. Well, what 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 word should we put in this tweet, Gavin, to really connect with Demute? 
And Gavin goes, I think we should put in the word bodacious and a reference to Pop-Tarts. And they go, my God, whatever we're paying Gavin isn't enough. What most people think. And David Lammy as well. He continues to be this... He's He continues to be this weird left-wing version of the populist that he claims to hate, right? That's the irony about Lammy. He says that he hates lying, he hates hyperbole, and he's just he's just that. He's just a left-wing version of that. He's divisive. You know, his politics are incredibly trifle and divisive. You know, the way that they seek to just pit people against each other. Um, and I saw he was uh, he was on um, uh, the Andrew Neil show, right? Thank God for Andrew Neil, by the way. The idea that Owen Jones was coming up with recently, like he shouldn't be on the air. This, this is one of the only people like on television that is totally unafraid. He was calling out David Lammy for insinuating that the death toll from Grenfell was higher than the official figures, right? So he said, not unreasonably, right? What's the evidence for that? And David Lamb is like, it's evidence, it's just, I, sp- I spoke to, pe- I know people, I know people, I know people. And, you know, unfortunately for David Lammy, one of his, his friends died. And, of course, you know, no one would mock that. But, like, he invoked that as though that was supposed to shut Andrew Neil down. But Andrew Neil quite reasonably said, uh, well, I still would like to know where the evidence is for that. And, and David Lammy just, he got so flustered so quickly because I guess he never expected to be taken on on that turf and it's the same with Andrew Neil with you know some of the more sort of lurid claims by Extinction Rebellion while a lot of the mainstream media were sort of like dropping their drawers and just completely in awe of because again it's youth it's diverse they just youthful diversiveness the diversity of youth they just they, they think that there's there's some kind of a moral or intellectual authority that goes with that it's not like it's not you know it, it's kind of great if young people are politically engaged it doesn't make them any more likely to be right you know they're just Chatting shit, but for different reasons, as far as I'm concerned. But, God, I sounded old there, didn't I? He was just chatting shit for different reasons, as far as I'm concerned. That's what old Jeff thinks. Anyway, yeah, I'm a trainee gammon, people. That's what I do now. I get angry about stuff. It's the way It's the way I motivate myself. But back to the, uh, the, the Farage's change of position. He, yeah, immediately, there was a lot of people online saying, well, well this stinks. This absolutely stinks. What the Brexit party standing down in certain Tory areas? Like we, do any any electoral pact is going to seem to stink from the other side, right? It did. It did make me laugh though that, that Farage called it unilateral coalition. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Like, yeah, this is yeah, this is a coalition that I have entered into with just me. Um, yeah, that's not really our coalition. I, I, in that case, I was in a unilateral relationship with Lucy Pinder. In the noughties. Uh, it really was very one way, but uh, it definitely was a coalition. And um, yeah, they're gonna stand they're gonna stand there, but they're gonna still stand in Labour areas. Uh, it seems to be a pretty sweet deal for the Tories this so far. But I just wonder with the Brexit party as well, whether Nigel because I mean let's be honest, right? You know, fielding six hundred and seventeen candidates for a party that only started in fucking what this year was it? Yeah, it was this year, I think. And um, all the vetting and due diligence that you've got to do on candidates. Now, I'm not saying there's a lot of very good people working for the Brexit party, right? You know, very, you know, politically motivated people. I'm just saying it's 617 candidates. You've got to find them in a very short space of time. There's going to be some fucking nutters among them. They're definitely going to be some nutters. And I was thinking, like, they probably did, like, the vetting process. You know, like, they probably did it like X Factor. Like, God, if I was a shit... You know, I just thought I'd just do 
a shitty comedian topical game or Brex Factor. <laughs> but I still did the joke, so I need to own it. And, you know, they kind of like narrowed it down and narrowed it down. And he's probably gone, Jesus Christ, I've only got 20. <laughs> I've got 20 to 50 same candidates. So it's good, in that case, if that was the case, that's quite smart, isn't it? He's gone, well, actually, I'm doing this for the country. But he's gone, actually, <laughs> what he really means, yeah, I met some of these fuckers the other week. And some of them are mental. And yeah, just the party machinery, you know. But I think, you know, not, nevertheless, the Brexit party would have made their mark, right? You know, those European elections, it seems a long time ago now. But the fact that they won that, I think there was a lot of Remainers at that time that just thought it was uh, it was a gimme, right? The country's changed their mind and they absolutely smashed it. And, you know, it kind of forced a, a, a repositioning of the Conservative Party. So I suppose from the Brexit Party's point of view, they would say job done to the point where you would say maybe, you know, they don't need to stand even in some of the seats that, that they are. But, you know, they probably don't feel that the Conservative position is brexit enough. You know, there's always going to be some. I wonder who the most Brexit person is. Like, I wonder what level. Like, what's the hardest Brexit that you could be, you know what I mean? It's probably invade Europe, isn't it? It's probably it's not just it's not just pulling out. It's sending a you know a couple of rockets into kind of Calais <laughs> on the way out. Just a few mainline assaults. Um, yeah, I am definitely advocating that. Um, and then Emily Thornberry is the other person that stood out. Gold stars for Emily Thornberry for some morning car crashes on GMB. Yeah, she just doesn't. She's not a morning person. And and she she's also in that position that quite a few politicians are in this election in that she's not particularly uh, ideologically wedded to a lot of the ideas or the leadership so she has to kind of make out the and I I quite I quite enjoyed it when they you know they were asking about what Corbyn would do in the face of a nuclear attack and she was just like I don't fucking know you know what I mean I don't know don't know I I don't know. ask him. I don't know, nothing, something. Who gives a shit, right? I haven't had any coffee yet. Where's my fucking pastry? Um, <laughs> that's just thing. It'd be a good Emily Thornberry would be a good sort of Lee Francis character to do. You know, you remember the remember the way that he did um, Scary Spice, just made out she was dead rough. <laughs> It'd be funny if Emily Thornberry was made out to be exactly the sort of white van woman that she clearly despises. Where, where's my fucking pastry? I ain't going on fucking telly. I'm fucking hanging. <laughs> um. So, yeah, this election, I ultimately, I mean, I keep going back to this. Is anyone really going to change their mind? You know, there was a YouGov stat that showed, you know, for the general population, how many of the big ticket moments of the election so far have connected. And it's infinitesimally small. Like, people are not picking up on this stuff. Because ultimately, even like this, podcasts, Twitter, most of most people, most sane people aren't wasting their lives engaging on these platforms, right? So you know, when they looked at the big ticket moments, Jacob Rees-Mogg with Grenfell actually was the highest one to register. 5% of people had heard of that. Uh, and then it was all like twos and one percent. So even the stuff in the NHS, extra spending. You know, it gets to a point where you think like, you, like, I think a politician could at this point crack one out on morning television and, and, and it wouldn't necessarily, you know, it wouldn't necessarily hamper the campaign too much. And there would be people, because we're so entrenched now, they would sort of try and find a way of supporting it. Do you know how tri you know, tribal people could be either Labour or Conservative? They just they can't bring themselves to just admit that their side fucks up. They just they go, well, I just I think it was great that I was great that Matt Hancock did that. I mean, Hancock by name, you know, I just I just thought it was really refreshing. I thought it was really refreshing 
to see, you know, because there's so much censorship around right now. He just he just got it out. He just got it out, and he just did what is natural. We shouldn't be ashamed. <laughs> So, I'm pretty much done with the autumn leg of taking liberties. And then it's all, if you want to come and see me live doing my tour, it starts in February of next year. Actually, we've got a reorganised date of Newcastle on the 25th of January. But we are going all over the shop. We've got another London day. We've got another, uh, we've got Manchester day. We're going to some big places. But we're also going to uh, some places I haven't been before. I've got a tour date in Bridport. Everybody in Bridport, listen to this. Is Bridport real? Lime Regis? Stourport? The Civic in Stourport. I don't even know where that is. It sounds West Midlands-y. Have I discussed this before? But that's only because of Stour Bridge. I don't know. Wrexham. Welsh people. What are you saying? You're going to come see Wrexham? I look at that venue and I think, that's a big venue for an Englishman in Wrexham. So please come and support that in Wrexham. This is all coming up in spring of next year. Canterbury. I'm at the Golbeckian Theatre. Golbeckian. I don't even know what that means. I'm at the Golbeckian. Um, and that is a date. I was in Canterbury a few years ago at the other theatre, but, um, well, I've got bigger now. I know this one has literally 40 more seats. So come and let, help me sell those seats. And uh, tickets are on sale through Live Nation or my website, jeffnorcott.co.uk, uh, or you can just come go on my Twitter. I'm, I'm, I'm plugging it all the fucking time. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's all non-stop plug. That's part of the reason I don't have advertising on this podcast, because I think that I just want to be at liberty to plug the shit out of my tour. And if you've ever thought to yourself, Jeff, you know, all this content you're providing, how much better you're making my life as I walk the dog or do stuff in my kitchen, just have you babbling on in the background. What could I do for you, Jeff? Well, I could tell you what you could do. You could book your tickets for the spring leg this side of Christmas, okay? If you, if you care about me, if not, don't, fine, don't do it. But I may well die of fucking uh, a, a Valium overdose or beta blockers probably. So, uh, this story, I don't know if you saw this one doing the rounds. Uh, Emma Watson, she uh, did an interview where she says she'd come out of a relationship and um, she's not single. No, she's self-partnered. Yeah? Do you remember Gwyneth Paltrow with the conscious uncoupling? Because this is the thing with, uh, you know, the bohemian ultra superset liberal celebrities. They can't just do normal shit. Yeah? They can't just split up, get divorced, be single. It's got to be some sort of conscious act of growth, you know? Like they're doing it better than you would do it. And the worst thing about it, right? One of, I guess, being a young feminist like Emma Watson is, she's, you know, a lot of, like most young people now, they think language comes with so many connotations and single implies that, you know, it's not, you, you should be with somebody. And in fact, I'm totally at ease with being myself. So I've called myself self-partnered. Now, if I was with somebody that gave me that spiel, I would think, well, that sounds like you've got an issue with being single. <laughs> it actually it actually achieves the opposite effect. Go because if you was comfortable being single, you just say, Yeah, I'm single. You know, it's not it's not like that, you know, it doesn't have good connotations. Single, ready to mingle, you know, I'm loving the single life. Yeah, I've released a new single. That I know that's not connected, but I wanted a third example. So just just stop showing off, Emma Watson. Yeah, you you're single. There's nothing that's not a word that needs to change. And you know, it's like this fucking arms race of words that you can, you can't change the meaning. And the problem for them, right, is that people are smart. So you can tinker with language, but the fundamental meaning of things stays the same. It's like, it's not gonna change housewife, 
don't know if you remember back in the 90s, there was a period where they suddenly said uh, domestic engineer, right? Because when, when you used to have uh, game shows, do you remember the game shows? Women would introduce themselves as housewives and they would invariably get patronised by the game show host, you know? They just go, hey, my, name is, uh, my name is Linda, I'm from Derby. Uh, oh, it's just Derby. And they go, all right, Linda, well, you know, uh, housewife, you know, you're a housewife, uh, yeah. Oh, that, that's all right, love, that's all right. <laughs> They'd say in a way that was patronising. Anyway, despite being a housewife, um, let's have a look at the board and see if you can get maybe one or two of these 10 questions right. Um, but, you know, change to domestic engineer and then, you know, stay at home mum. You, you know, you're tinkering with it. And also self-partnered, right? Look, if you was trying to think of, like, a way of getting people to mock you, you know, self-partnering. We all know what that sounds like. Self-partnered the shit out of myself last night. Yeah, well, you know, I had a bit of time in a hotel room. Um, and I, I think this is one of the problems with these... Uh, young people, is that they invest too much in language. They think changes in language alone can, can affect uh, the, the fundamental reality. And, and, it, and it's fairly natural for people to want to be in relationships, you know? It's what we do, you know? Us and the fucking penguins, right? I can't think of any other species. And yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not without complications being in a relationship. We all sort of know deep down that's what we're aiming for. You know what I'd love to be? Right, you know what I'd love to be is what is one of uh, one of their friends when they bust this phrase out. You know, like when they're so you know their their friend that, that's got a good bullshit radar, and they just go yeah. And so at the moment, um, yeah, the way I see it, I'm self partnered, and just seeing her friends going, okay, she's not over him, <laughs> but trying to make out like she doesn't, she's not called mentally calling bullshit on this phrase. I mean, like Gwyneth Paltrow's friends must have had to live through so many. So many of those moments, you know, like when you're in a friendship group, you get this, you get this sometimes, particularly with girls, it's like, you know, there's three girls, one of them is a bit of a nightmare and the other two sort of know it and they'll just store up stuff to talk about her when it, when it starts, you go, yeah, me and, me and Chris are uh, consciously uncoupling and they just, they have a little look between them and they go, yeah, let's do a fucking, on the non-Gwyneth WhatsApp group, let's, <laughs> that's going to come up. So look. Ultimately, you can call it what you want, but despite the problems inherent in relationships, being in a relationship is sort of nominally the goal of, of most people. And calling it self-partnering uh, doesn't change the fact that the next time you get a wedding invite, it's going to be tricky. What most people think. A little bit of bollocks here that I need to discuss with you. This came up on stage in Monmouth. Um, I have a real issue with dressing gowns. Yeah, I don't like. Uh, I don't like people wearing them. Like generally, but one, past ten thirty, if I see you in a dressing gown, I, I I I have no respect for you. I you're up, then get dressed. What? And, and I gotta say, women are way more guilty of this than men. They seem to think that there's this tertiary state that they can stay in, like a semi dress, like they're not really up, but they're up. You know, the women do the same thing about like driving, going to the shop with their fucking slippers on. What? What's the bigger? What's the problem? What is the problem? <laughs> Just putting on your shoes. This is where I realised I'd become like my dad. Do you know what I mean? But he was right. Fuck it. The old man was right. Get up. Just get dressed. I just can't bear it. I cannot bear it. Maybe it's to do with like when I lived on a council estate, all the, like a lot of the mums would just like get up, especially in the summer. They'd get up, put on their dressing gowns, just sit on the stairs and smoke. And it must have been that I was already like the slightly judgy little Tory that I was destined to be. But I was just, I was like fucking bloody get dressed. You know, get dressed. I was, I was outraged. I was outraged. 
And my son there at the moment, he he quite likes staying in his jammers. And it's going to be a bone of contention. It's, this is the first thing where me and him are going to realize that we're fundamentally different people, you know? I am, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Maybe is it more of a man thing, this? I can't like, you know, same thing with men wanting to feel like socks on their feet. And I don't know if there's some sort of evolutionary reason for that. But I tell you the worst place, right, that, that I see the dressing gown thing is, you know, like outside a hospital and when people are wearing dressing gowns and smoking outside A and E. I don't know why, but that is I that's an abomination. I'm you know, I I've never hated a group of people by race, creed, religion, you know what I mean, sexual orientation. I dressing gown wearers outside of hospitals smoking. I don't know what it is to accommodate. I don't know if it's like and I don't even know if it's necessarily the fuck you to like the fact that, you know, a hospital is about keeping you healthy or something. It's just something about how it looks, you know? And just have that look on their face. I was smoking. I just, I don't know. I've got, I've got a problem. I've got a problem. Here's another one I've got a problem with, right? And people often tell me that this is this is sexist. Is that I don't like seeing women smoking uh, roll-ups. Now, I know that this is... If you are a woman that smokes roll-ups, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I don't want to... I just don't... I don't like it. I don't know what it is. And you might think then, oh, you're the kind of bloke that's so fucking old-fashioned and is such a dinosaur that you don't like seeing women drinking pints. But I actually, I like seeing a woman drink a pint. To me, that suggests that she doesn't take herself too seriously. Do you know what I mean? She's a pint drinker. I mean, I'm not going to want her to be, like, too knowledgeable about her ales. That, then, I'm thinking, that's odd. <laughs> I admit this stuff. I'm surprised that I think this stuff too, all right? But this is the point. I'm just being honest. Isn't that bad? Like I, I'm so specific that I'm I'm cool with a woman drinking a pint, but if she's into like real ale, then I'm back into not being cool with it again. And if you are, and I, I don't know, maybe there is some incredibly feminine, sexy, female <laughs> real ale drinkers out there. <laughs> I tell you what, though, a bit a bit like there's a real ale campaign marketing where they'll try and make that out. You know, because that's the other thing. Young and diverse, female. That's what I think. Young, diverse, female. Female, let's get women drinking. Oh, boring old man fucking ale. <laughs> like, conveniently leaving out the most obvious thing about alcoholic drinks that women tend to like is they like them to be pretty sweet. They do. You know, it's another it's another generalisation, but that's kind of what I specialise in. But they do. Every once in a while, there'll just suddenly be a new drink that women want. There's fucking one is expensive. You know, and it would usually be a revival of an old drink that was already a thing like, oh, yeah, gins, gins are back, gin, <laughs> you know, Aperol Sprit, Aperol Sprit, what that fucking shitty sub Campari level 1970s drink, is that the thing, what, 15 quid for it, well, because it's got a special glass, fucking, thank God for women, man. women keep the economy going, let's be honest, you know, economies need a little bit of inflation and a bit of luxury, and without women, I don't think it would happen. I don't think it would happen. But yeah, women smoking roll-ups. And I, I spoke about this once, and, and a friend of mine who is very feminist, and she not unreasonably challenged me on this. And we got down to brass tacks a bit. And the reason being was because when um, when we were poor, when we were kids, like when, we, when it was really tight, my mum would, uh, she would borrow my dad's roll-ups and stuff, and she would roll her own. So it turns out, right, I'm not really sexist at all. It turns out I associated it with poverty. You see? Hey. 
this working class chip on the shoulder. It's so depressing in the way working class people can bring everything back to their lack of privilege in the early part of their life. Uh, see, actually, it was to do with poverty. Yeah, it was to do with, uh, I associate that feeling with eating spam. With eating spam and eating fucking tur turkey twizzlers were a treat. We'd have fucking killed for a turkey twizzler. We did kill for a turkey twizzler. We killed our own turkeys and we twizzled them ourselves. Fucking Jamie Oliver. Don't take that away from my culture and my heritage. Anyway, this this has gone off. This has gone off piece a little bit. But just say with dressing gowns, okay? Ask yourself, are dressing gowns a sign of mental ill health and fecklessness? <laughs> just ask yourself. I'm not saying that they, they clearly are. I think I think that there might be a connection. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna institute a scientific study into depression and dressing gowns. <laughs> Okay, we had some letters. Thank you for the letters. Um, one of which is from a guy called Dan Cure. So I mentioned on the last podcast about how I'm not having it generally with the uh, double-barreled surname thing, right? Um, so Dan Cure got in touch with me and he said, RE the double-barreled surname thing. Um, I'm looking at it from a different angle. I've got two young daughters, so in theory, right, if they marry, my surname will disappear. Um, if they obviously not they're gonna marry uh, given that there is a bit of historical uh, legacy to my surname dating back to the middle ages humble brag um, I am looking at the double barreled approach why am I reading like such a fucking idiot today just I'm reading like literally I've gone back I used to be an English teacher I'm reading level four I'm looking at the double barreled right let's, let's read this with some fluency I'm looking at the double-barreled approach as a tactic to ensure it stays, albeit in a watered-down form. Having said that, isn't it sad that we blokes have to resort to these things in the age of woke? Well, there's a lot of things that are sad about the age of woke, Dan, but how much time have we got? The point is here, you suggested something quite interesting, is, is a kind of pragmatic of, uh, approach to your own surname here. Is that kind of things are changing, and I, I've just got to hang on in there. I, I mean, it sounds like an excuse, Dan, I'll be honest. You're sort of, you've gone, well, you know, I you, you should have put your foot down, Dan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, I know that this is your going for a walk podcast, but I want it to be the going for a walk. And But oh, maybe, you're a, maybe you're pragmatic. You know, you've got two young daughters. So you're, right, so it's interesting. You're seeing the way that feminism is going. You're, you're looking beyond the curve here. And so it's not about what you can kind of impose in your relationship. It's, it's about what the feminist landscape will be in successive generations, right? So I think I understand it a bit better. Um, I, I I think that's kind of smart, but it doesn't change the fact that if everyone goes for double-barreled names, there will come a point in which they collide. And we, what, will have, what will happen then? It'll be like the family will have a vote off for which <laughs> which bit of the surname to get rid of, you know? Because you can't have four names, for fuck's sake. Um, you know, you end up sounding like that Fucking Daenerys Targaryen. You know in Game of Thrones. Daenerys Targaryen, the mother of dragons, the queen of marine, the king. Now I'm actually was felt myself going into Apollo Creed's nicknames in Rocky IV. What a fucking film that was. But anyway, look, I, I do think... But you know, don't forget that things change, right? Feminism comes and goes in waves. So what happened is now you've got all these daughters... These mums with their daughters are saying, like, darling, you can be, you've got to be a, you know, like, a scientist or a mathematician. Or you've got to fly a plane. And, and, and so, like, you eventually, you rebel against what your parents want. So old-fashioned 
kind of femininity might make a comeback as as maybe like you know girls that have been given nicknames like strength and because you remember like girls do even though it's like girls have like more aspirational names than blokes you know girls girls have names like mercy and virtue and prudence right like they they kind of expect more of their daughters whereas both Brian Kevin <laughs> there's no there's no magic in men's names like girls have beautiful names you know Arabella there's no there's no like there's no such thing as like I can't even think of a really cool name like I I, I did just think of a cool name Thor that would be a great name but you don't tend to do them for boys because it sounds like a reach whereas with girls you just you kind of um, harmony imagine being called harmony and like you couldn't fucking sing that'd be like <laughs> Harmony and start singing, going. She sounds like she's drowning a fucking cat. Old Harmony there. So listen, I understand. I understand you're thinking, Dan, and I appreciate you coming back to me on that. I hadn't thought about it uh, that way. So quite a few of you emailed in about the cricketer, the female cricketer, the the male cricketer, the uh, the male that identify. <laughs> you start talking about trans issues. How how quickly did it take before I got? nervous about what the fuck I was saying there. Um, so it was a male that self-identified as a female and has been playing cricket and scoring a shit ton of runs. And by a shit ton of runs, I mean like like if you merge Steve Smith last summer with Brian Lara in his kind of 401 not out pomp, right? This is this is the kind of um, run scoring we're talking about. So so this isn't like transitioning. We got we got no hormones here. We got no there's no boobs on this cricketer. There's you know nothing getting in the way when they're running between the wickets. Or anything like that. Oh, you know, there is still something getting in the way. Uh, so there's still need for a box. Uh, and it's caused a lot of controversy, right? Because um, she won. And by the way, first up foremost, I will refer to anybody. This is just a personal thing. If someone says they're, they're a she, I'm like, okay, okay. You know what I mean? I, I will refer to that person as a she. That's not really the issue in this case. The issue in this case is, is how it must feel for uh, a, a female born... Uh, or as they say, cis, C-I-S. Well, I still don't know what that fucking acronym means, but someone who's born as a female. Um, when, when this guy, and so this this player is like six foot four. Um, it looks quite feminine, um, but you know, it's still got the all the advantages. She's still got all the advantages of having like a, a male heart, which is bigger, you know, muscle, all, all of those physical advantages that come with being a man. Uh, and so because of the weird uh, rules, that uh, English cricket has, uh, she was able to just go in and just fucking spank runs, man. And we're talking like a level... I, I mean, I haven't seen any of the footage, but it must have looked... This is one of the problems, right? When you get like someone who's still like, biologically male going up against women in a sport, it must look like bullying. Do you know what I mean? Like this is this big six foot four person just smacking sixes over the bowler's head. <laughs> it must have looked... Fuck it. And like, we're in that weird political climate where evidently it's got to the point where they've won female cricket a year and no one has had, I was going to say the balls. It just seems like I'm, I'm taking the piss, but I'm not. Um, no, one, no, one, no one has questioned this, you know? No one has questioned this. Uh, it, it must have looked like, do you remember in the Fast Show, Competitive Dad, where like uh, Simon Day played that brilliant character where he'd go out in the garden with his son and then he'd, they'd go, well, you think you're good at football, boy? And he'd just fucking toe punt it past him from a yard and then like celebrate right in his face. Um, they, they, I mean, like the average, I can't remember what the, the average that this person was scoring at. It was, it was well into the hundreds, I think. Um, 
so it must be galling. I just wonder if like these issues, and I think like sometimes there is a case that when it comes to overall trans issues, you know, toilets and sport do seem to have a disproportionate place, but. But it will be weird. I, you know, the, the one view is that we'll carry on along this road until, you know, self-identification where we'll, we'll, no, we'll no longer look back on this as a strange thing. The other one is, is that this could be the blip, right? This could be the weird period in time where, you know, like in like 50 years when we're the old fuckers. You know like how we used to question our grandparents of like, you know, they're out and out racism or, ju or just weird stuff. See, the liberal way of thinking is that that our grandkids will question us and say, well, how comes you weren't totally accepting of all trans and trans-related issues immediately, right? The other way it could go is that particularly with this thing with sport, they might go, well, how the fuck did that happen? You know, when they just see some footage and it will look like grainy footage, like look to us because they'll be wearing some fucking, well, I was going to say 3D headsets, but that's never really come off, has it? We keep getting told we're all going to be walking around in these VR headsets and it never happens. But they go, how come, like, uh, granddad, how come that uh, six foot four giant is is bullying those women? <laughs> I go, well, son, you know, it was, it was 2019 and, um, you know, we we're all a bit worried about trending. And I was, what's trending? Oh, they used Twitter. There was this thing that eventually got banned by the government. But because, um, you know, it either made people say too much or not say what they were thinking. Uh, it's hard to explain. So, um, look, man, I, 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 you know, part of me being uh, right of centre is comes from a place of like, you know, the state, stay out of your fucking business where possible. So, you know, there is a part of me that does, you know, have some sympathy for the idea that the government don't necessarily get to tell you what you are. But in this issue of sport, man, just someone's got to fucking draw a line in the sand. Yeah. If you fully transition, that's one thing. But if, if you self ID'd, you cannot be going out and tonking a double hundred blindfolded. So, uh, yeah, in response to that, some people said, oh, you're too scared to take on the transition. It's a fucking tricky one, but I did my best. Got an email from a guy called Brenton Mail, and he, if that would be cool if it was his name, maybe it's just a mail from a place called Brenton, or maybe his name is Brenton Mail. Sounds like a fucking Martin Amos character. And um, he was talking about fights, various kind of fights, one of which he suggested was um, who looks like they would naturally have the worst bad breath out of Barry Gardner, someone else, I can't remember who the other one was. And I like that concept, but I'm going to try and keep it pure here to the political fights. Uh, but he did suggest a good category, like the two biggest pussies, like a fight, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing quite like seeing two fucking pussies fight each other, like terrible, like they don't want, when he's at school... Uh, they don't want to be fighting each other and uh, they're being egged on and, you know, their rage is, is comical. Uh, in this respect, I think I think, I think think Jacob Rees-Mogg versus Oliver Letwin would be a good one. I know that they're essentially... Well, you say they're on the same side of the bench. I mean, over Brexit, they couldn't be more diametrically opposed. Just imagine, like, it would probably start in, like, GCSE history, like, uh, before, before lunch, you know. There would just be one thing they'd like... All, all, the, all the naughty lads would be at the back and it'd be the history class and they'd have a slight argument about a point of order, about history, about the Greek, about the <laughs> about the Greek civilization, about Socrates or something. And then just because just the other lads aren't really learning anything, you know, they're, they're, they're feeling guilty about their lack of progress. They decide to kind of like amp this up and then they egg these lads on to the point where it, it's going to be a fight after school. It can be a fight in the courtyard uh, between uh, Letwin and Reese Mogg, and then it goes around lunchtime, it catches fire, 
you heard uh, Letwin and Reese Morgan going to fight. And then it's fucking, it's just out of control. There's literally hundreds of lads coming to watch this absolute shit show of a fight. And um, when they get there, Letwin and Reese Mogg, they're trying to put it off, you know, like claiming that, you know, they want to be they want to be on grass, you know, in case they knock the other one out. And everyone's going, but that's not going to fucking happen. Look at you. Uh, and then eventually they settle, uh, they settle on a piece of grass and you can just see in their eyes, they're just going, please, somebody break this up. And uh, so the, the fight starts and it's a bit slappy slappy. Uh, it was a lot slappy slappy. And, and then being Oliver Letwin, the fight, the fight wouldn't get anywhere, would it? He, he would introduce some fucking fight amendment, wouldn't he? Uh, that would just allow everybody to have like seven votes on it and push the fucking fight back uh, into like 2048. Uh, but I would love to see that fight. <laughs> I'd love to see Oliver Letwin versus Jacob Rees-Mogg. I mean, they would... It's that thing of throwing a punch where you haven't done it before. So you sort of... You do an impression of throwing a punch. And so even if it did land, like it's got like no power. It would land with all the power of somebody dropping a blueberry muffin on your head. <laughs> so, but in that fight, so say it did get going... Um, I would think Oliver Letwin just a bit on on the stockier side. So I think that after after the mockery, the sound of mockery was rising and the chiding, he would eventually be moved to to rage and he would he would pull out some weird like instinctive Greco-Roman move, you know, from from uh, boarding school, <laughs> and uh, and and Jacob Rees-Mogg would uh, he wouldn't submit, you know, he'd have this like determined little look on his face. You know, you know, those lads have. There's just a fury, like knowing one day he's gonna. I'm gonna make some laws that you won't like. And uh, but but eventually, eventually a teacher, eventually a teacher would come, like the teacher John Burko, and he'd award it to fucking uh, Oliver Letwin anyway. So that is the end of this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, as a, you know, recommend it to other people if you like it. It'd be nice to keep it growing. I think the thing of getting letters back on things that I've said in the show is really good. I love to keep picking up on things. So what most people think, UK at gmail.com. If there's something in particular that I've said, I mean, obviously, you know, keep the uh, keep the general letters coming and new subjects. But if you want to take me on on something that I've said, I'm more than up for that. Uh, we, I was just I was about to do some FM radio thing then. Go, should we call it the heckleback? Yeah, let's call it your heckle, my heckle, heckle beckle. You know, oh, fuck it. Look, it's not Capital FM. So yeah, you you get the point. You get the point. And like I say, uh, keep buying tickets uh, for the tour. And uh, just so you know, I have done this podcast from uh, within a Premier Inn, and I think that it's probably for the person in the room next to me. It's one of the sadder sights that they've seen is that a bloke has gone into a room alone, clearly alone, and then spent the best part of an hour talking you know but uh but look i'm doing a job here it's quite exciting I, won't, I can't tell you anything about it for the time being but sometimes this job involves you know being in a premier inn and and, and doing a podcast Do I, uh, this, this is getting sadness now the sadness that i've kept at bay um throughout the show is now coming out look i miss my kid at the end of the day um but look if you if you want to cheer me up buy some tickets for the tour you can most people think